Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Many do not know the real Jesus. Today's versions of Jesus are as numerous as our phone software updates. There's always a new one, and soon there'll be another. On top of that, many consider themselves religious or non-religious, but fewer and fewer, fewer and fewer are willing to be only Christian. Faith in Christ and being Christian comes with its own sort of cultural baggage. People are turned off by the semantics of these words. They prefer good vibes and to communicate through emotions. That's why so many are so quickly outraged and unable to articulate themselves. They have no option but to lash out with their words because for them, words can only convey what they feel and how they feel things should be and how they feel you and everyone else should think or not think. It's why the rise of cancel culture has only grown, and it can only grow if that's the way people use and are instructed through these larger platforms which we consume from, how we communicate through our emotions only. And we are all consumers of these, these larger Platforms, be they academia, media, or politics. We all are encumbered by them or encompassed by them all the time. If we ask Jesus' question today, who do people say that I am? We are likely to receive emotional responses to that type of a question. Answers are tied to relative truth. Feelings about Jesus that are ahistorical, like nostalgia to when maybe a person went to church as a kid, but now they no longer do that, or how they think back about uh, their time with their grandparents and how they believe, but they don't believe in Jesus. When Jesus asks his disciples, but who do you say that I am? Peter responds boldly and rightly, you are the Christ. Surely his emotions are flooded, right? Flooded with the weight of such a statement as that, but they aren't what motivates his faith. He believes Jesus is the Christ, the, the, the Messiah God's people have waited since the fall of creation. How could your heart not be filled with overwhelming emotions of fear, love, and trust in God? God just looked him in the face and called him out to ID him right then and there. How could you not be filled with emotions with that? But now, now making emotional responses have never been thought of as a good thing in the past, but they seemingly are coming into vogue now. People regret allowing their grudges to linger year after year. Loved ones regret selling their homes immediately after the death of a spouse. And quitting early has never gotten anyone through college into shape or really happy at all. So these sorts of responses based on emotion are not usually helpful. Instead, perseverance 
in the truth of God's word is the hallmark of the Christian faith. And Jesus knows well how difficult this is for us sinners. After teaching the disciples that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again, Peter, who just previously had this amazing, to-the-point confession that Jesus is the Christ, now he is turned Turn from the stern, from the boldness of such a statement, and he is crippled with fear at such a statement that Jesus now presents to him. He is frightened by the death of Jesus, and he rebukes Jesus. Jesus, in turn, rebukes Peter. Get behind me, Satan. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Peter has given into a mind that is purely emotional, worldly. His thoughts were not on the semantics of Jesus' words, but on how he felt about Jesus' words. Frightened by the fear of his Savior dying, he tells him, no, you can't do that. The scaffolding of his mind buckles under the pressure. It is like before, previously in the Gospels, when the disciples are in the boat together, you might know the story, and the wind is against them, and they are being beaten by the waves, and Jesus comes walking to them on the water, and they are all terrified. And Jesus speaks out, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter, like now, as before, answers Jesus' call. Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus replies, come. So Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand, took hold of him, and said to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? In today's gospel, Jesus is addressing this doubt of Peter for the second time. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. Jesus invited Peter to come after him on the water, to deny himself, to deny the fear of drowning, to trust in Jesus and to follow him. But soon after stepping upon the sea, he is overcome with what his fears tell him is true. Be afraid. Save yourself. And being afraid and trying to save his own life, he began to lose it and drown. His only refuge was Jesus, who reached out his hand, took hold of him, but questioned his doubt. Peter's rebuke by Jesus doesn't belong to him alone. It's all ours. 
Sinners the world over are constantly beaten by the waves of this world's stormy emotions and unbelief. And so the death and resurrection of Jesus seem to be a truth too good or too insane to believe. We are all just terrified people when you strip us to our core. We doubt the real Jesus because our emotions often betray what is true. And we fear truth because it requires an accountability to both God and neighbor. Our souls are like timid young people when it's time to get married who say, I'm not ready to settle down. To walk on water with Jesus or to lose your life in order to save it are neither rational nor emotionally sound things. They can only be believed by faith. Trusting Jesus may not be what you're ready for, but it's the only way you're getting out of this life with your life. Can you be ashamed of the one who saves you? Can you be ashamed of the one whose words for you, whose love for you, in his word for you, match also his deeds for you? That as he says that he loves you, he shows it to you by dying on the cross for you. Jesus calls our world an adulterous and sinful generation who without him will not enjoy the glory of his Father nor the holy angels. By faith we receive Jesus. And despite our fears, Jesus does come to us and take hold of us and rescue us. We receive in Jesus a justification by faith, something completely unearned for us. Unearned by us, rather. We receive in Jesus this justification by faith, not merely feeling spiritual, but by actually being declared righteous. Something actually happens. You are made righteous. You have been made holy by Jesus, even though you are afraid and feel unworthy. In Christ, pride is also put away, it's put to shame. And humility is transformed into a faith that is foreign to us but delivered to us. So our life is no longer our own. You belong to God. And whatever you lose in this life for the sake of following Christ and his gospel, it's worth it. And you can rejoice that at least it's not your soul. People will forever feed upon who likes them and who doesn't like them. And what makes them feel good or what makes them feel bad. But what would it profit you to fill this world with everything you've ever wanted if in the end it only made you empty and lonely and miserable? Jesus rhetorically asks, what can a man give in return for his soul? What can he fill this world with in exchange for salvation? Nothing. Nothing of value. But that's just what Jesus takes in exchange for your salvation. We confess this in the Creed. That Jesus has redeemed me, a lost and condemned person, purchased and won me from all sins, from death and from the power of the devil, not with gold or silver, but with his holy, precious blood 
and with his innocent suffering and death, that I may be his own and live under him in his kingdom and serve him in everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness, just as he has risen from the dead, lives and reigns to all eternity. Jesus is everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness. But he gives what properly belongs to him, to you, as a free gift of grace. So to you is given through the death of Jesus, righteousness, innocence, and blessedness. In exchange for your unrighteousness, your guilt, and your cursedness, Jesus declares you righteous. He restores your innocence and lifts the curse of sin that would otherwise drown and damn you. This is what we call the blessed exchange. The blessed exchange is the hand of deliverance to lift you from all doubts, from fears, and from every unbelief. Jesus is the Christ. That confession has never changed and never will. He is the real deal. And his love for you, in his love for you, he denied himself. He shed his blood and was crucified. To take up the cross and follow Jesus is simply to take up the salvation Jesus has left for you and given to you as that free gift. It is to believe in God's love for you that is already yours. This adulterous and sinful generation needs you to believe in something real, to believe unwavering in your faith in Jesus who justified you, who loves you, and saved you. The world needs those who can answer Jesus' question today. Who do the people say that I am? Go and answer for them what you know is true. Tell them who rescues sinners and saves souls. Tell them just simply what Jesus has done for you. Amen.